today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with Hudson Maynard. Hudson is a two-time Ironman finisher, top 115 global male CrossFit Games competitor for the 55 to 59 age class, and DECA world qualifier for DECA Fit, DECA Strong, and the DECA Mile Disciplines. He's no stranger to uncharted waters, as Hudson spent his formative years sailing around the world on a boat built by his father, my grandfather, from 1972 to 1978. When you think of a person in their 50s, you probably don't think of someone capable and willing to push themselves to the peak of their anaerobic threshold, then stay there in order to edge out the closest competitor. But that's my dad, and it explains a lot about who I am. I love this conversation, and I really appreciate how my dad can break down the mental battle that happens through fitness while demonstrating a love and appreciation for everyone on their journey to better understanding their own health, regardless of what their starting point is. I hope this conversation inspires more people to see age as an opportunity and not as a limiting factor. If we can win the battle upstairs, much of what's ahead of us can be overcome. Without further ado, Hudson Maynard. Well, you're officially the first repeat offender on the show so <laughs> thanks for coming back you weren't scarred enough the first time so thanks coming back for and uh, doing this again yeah that, no that's fine it's good to be here this is uh i had a really good time last time it was really enjoyable and uh we traded a lot of great blows and uh we're back for more so this is this will be good i i have a pretty good idea of where it's going to go because there's some cool stuff to talk about and i i think that it warranted an episode maybe because of the reach of how many different people don't know about what we're going to talk about just because they haven't heard of it like i hadn't and the avenue that it provides people to kind of gamify their fitness and wellness and put it in this really cool space so you have a history as a hard worker i mean <laughs> for starters <laughs> i don't know many days that you take just rest in general and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree but you also have a history with endurance sports. So you had done two Ironmans in your 30s, three Ironmans. Two. One in my 30s, one in my 40s. And where, like, where, were, where were they, for those listening? And then what, what, what kind of led you to decide that you were going to do that? Because that's quite a feat, and it's a massive step up from just doing triathlons. Well, um, okay, so we'll, we'll peel it back a little bit to the beginning. So I uh, grew up on a sailboat. And so swimming was in my life. So I swam through high school and got out of high school. And I've always been kind of an active kid and wanted to continue sports. So I did triathlons. That kind of, I'm kind of a, uh, I like the individual sports, me against the clock kind of thing. Having grown up on a boat, I didn't get the team sports, the football, the baseball, the soccer. Because we, we were constantly moving around. We sailed around the world for six years. So we were always in different countries. And we didn't, I didn't have that kind of, um, uh, like staying in one place kind of set up where I could right. do team sports. So um, solo things attracted me and triathlon. Um, I, I, I liked bicycling and I had swum. I, I hated running. I still hate running, um, but I do it. And, I'm, and I've done it long enough that I'm okay at it now. Yeah. But so out of the shorter triathlons, you know, where are you going to go? You just, um, 
I'm, I like challenges, and so what's the top of the, I mean, the Hawaiian Ironman is obviously the biggest and the best, but that's pretty expensive, and you need to qualify, and so that requires a huge commitment, and I was raising kids, but I wanted to at least do the distances, um, which is 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and a full marathon, 26.2 miles, and I did one in, I was living in Colorado for both of them, so my training was there, and I did one in Lake Placid, New York, and one in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. One in my 30s, one in my 40s. I'm 57 now, and i got three years to go, and I'm not going to do one in my 50s. Been there, done that. Was there any, I mean, when you did those, like, I, I feel like the Ironman distance is just, it's such a grind. You have to, you can't do that. You can do a marathon if you just get run volume in. Like, if you just train enough of the hours, you can do it. There's people that walk marathons. Right, so you can mm -hmm. get through the distance. You can't really just stumble into an Ironman. I mean, you from a overuse injury potential and just the time that you actually have to put into preparing for it. You're right. committing to quite a bit of time. I mean, when you did Lake Placid and Coeur d'Alene, your training frequency on top of a full-time job and kids was—it's nuts. Like, it's a pretty big commitment, right? So you knew when you were done with the second one. Not a sidebar that you had a blood blister on your foot from the second mile into the marathon, so you finished with a shoe full of blood. I remember that. Both feet. Both feet. Both feet. Because <laughs> it was so hot so, on the bike in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, they're on the balls of my feet. But your body takes care of things like that. It sort of gives you different hormones and, and adrenal stuff that gets you through. And as long as you have the mindset to attach the mindset to what your body's giving you so you can get through those painful spots. Some people let's just actually, pull over let's, and go, I'm done. Let's touch on this for a sec, because this was actually kind of wild. I, I kind of spaced on this before we started talking about it. But I remember because when I was standing in the finish line in Coeur d'Alene, I was waiting for you to come by because you're allowed to stand and then finish with your family member. So if you're a non-competitor, you can see your parent or your relative or whatever coming down and then join them so you jump across the finish line together. So I was waiting for you to come, and you were I think you had planned to do it in – what, like 11.40, and we were well over the 12-hour mark. You were so far right. off your pacing, it just didn't make sense. And there's always concern there from a health standpoint, right, because it's hot, it's the middle of the day, it's long, and you don't. no one knows exactly how their body's going to respond to this kind of stimulus, even when you train. Right. There's people, there's pro athletes that go out there, and they have seizures, right? I mean, stuff just happens. Right. So, and nutrition is, on long events like that, nutrition becomes such a critical component. Because right. if you don't fuel yourself, you're going to, you know, die on the vine long before the event's done. So there's, like, during the event, nutrition that's critical. A lot of shorter things, you know, you can fuel up beforehand, carbo load or do whatever you got to do and have your special foods and do your race. But the Ironman, you have to do all of that, and then you have to fuel all throughout the race or you're not going to make it. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoy this podcast and the guests that I have on, you can support it by checking out my amazing sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I've always been a firm believer that health starts on the cellular level. From my competitive years as an athlete to my weekly output of jiu-jitsu, surfing, and strength training, cellular nutrition is a non-negotiable since I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I won't skip on ingredients or quality when I start my day with pure AG1. Plus, AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, and it honestly tastes good while all costing less than $3 a day. Look, if you put in the work, you need to reward your body. So to make it easy, 
Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Abe. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash A-B-E to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. But this was strange because this wasn't even an, uh, like a preparation issue. You had done all the training volume. You had put in all the time. And then, like I was saying, you were so far off your pacing that there was concern. And then when I saw you, you were just white-faced. In, you were in that mode where your brain was so far overcoming this problem that we didn't, we didn't know what it was yet. Uh, that you were just committed to getting to the finish line and doing it. And you ran right, right. past us, and you ran right to the medical tent. And so we're like, <laughs> shit, <laughs> what, what's going yeah. on? And we go over there, yeah. and your shoes were literally red with blood. And you yeah. got the blood blisters on the third mile? On the bike. On the, so you weren't even the in, in the run. Because, yeah, well, that's what's next, so you do it. But the bike... It was so hot, like it was 100 degrees or something in Coeur d'Alene. So it's a pretty nuts. flat course, should have been really fast. I was pretty excited right. about it because my previous one was in New York and it was really hilly. So I thought, ooh, this is a potential for a PR and this could go really well. But I've learned in the years and the decades of being an athlete that the heat, I don't do super well in the heat. It's a whole different prep and different type of effort and maintenance of myself yeah. during events when it's hot. And right. so... I just knew I had an issue, but I didn't want to look at my feet because you can get a DQ if you pull over and you can get a medical DQ if somebody like say looked at my feet and said, you got to stop and we're making you stop. They'll pull your tag and you're done. Right. And so I didn't want that to happen. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't look at them. So that way I didn't know. Right. I'm like, okay, they hurt. Yeah, but you're going to hurt in an Ironman. So I right. just kept going and I kept running. And, and, and um, you know, when I finished, I knew that there, there was an issue. <laughs> so I just went, because if I sat down before the medical tent, they didn't have to carry me to it because I didn't right. have anything left. So it, it was a success in that I completed the course and, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad, you know, a little, little dressing on my feet and, and we're all set. But, you know, that was 12 and a half hours of racing. And so it, it's just like things happen to your body and things happen in your mind. I mean, the amount of time when you're on the bike for five hours, you know, and you know you have a marathon going, coming up, you don't think about the marathon. You think about different things, right. you know, kids growing up and like vacations and fun stuff. <laughs> and then when you get off and, <laughs> and your legs are like, yeah, no. You just tell yourself, okay, we're running now. We're not riding a bike anymore, so we can we can do this. You know, just let's recruit some different muscles and wait a mile or two for the blood flow to all shift to the right muscles, and let's keep going. And then and then once you get rolling, you just you, I just say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one more, one more aid station, one more aid station, one more aid station. You know, sometimes it was two or three, and I'm feeling pretty good. Maybe a five k or a ten k in there. You're like, yeah, sweet, I'm rolling. And then the wheels fell, fall off and, and you hit the aid station, which is, they're phenomenal in the Ironman. They're like 10 tables long and they're a buffet of everything you can possibly imagine. And your body what you, tells you what, what you What are you need. reaching for? That, like, what do you find it, yourself reaching for in those moments? It'll tell you what to, your, like instinct will guide you to what you need. As you scan the table, it might be like 
early on it might be like something odd like pretzels and you just eat that or it might be like a bowl of chicken soup and maybe toward the later couple of miles like from the finish you're like I never eat any process drink anything or eat processed sugar so like a soda you know we soda doesn't exist to me yeah. right or you when you were growing up but you slam a glass of coke you know five or six <laughs> ounces of coca-cola and that's like that's amazing that's an instant energy boost and that'll get you somewhere so sometimes it was that and it it it, it just varied whatever your body's asking for you give it and i'm not like you know i was minimally trained to finish and have fun and believe it or not i did have fun i mean it's just it's diff there's difficult times in there but it's always i i I always wanted to just make sure that I was having a good time. And sometimes on those long things, your mind kind of wanders and you're, you're in a dark place. But overall, you know, after it, I'm like, that was really awesome. And pieces of it, I mean, I cherish those memories. They're phenomenal. To be able to say that I've done it and know I could do, I could do it. Is there any part speed. of you that feels that itch? Like, oh, it would be cool that, you know, how many people in their 60s finish an Ironman? Like, is, is there any... You know, it's funny. I never let go of things that are a challenge, and that's a challenge. And so it's out there. It's on the sort of on the list. Uh, but I, I've got other things that are really piquing my interest that are that are equally as physically challenging. And you know, having segued from that into you know CrossFit for a decade almost, and then now this new sport, it's just it's just a natural progression. I don't get burnout because I kind of move on to other things. And I like that because it keeps my body intact reasonably, you know? Right. And so I don't have like 30 years of running overuse in my body that I have to contend with. Cause I always ran the minimum. The two marathons I've run in my life were in the Ironman races <laughs> at the end of those, you know, I had never run That's 18 great. miles before that. And I've never run yeah. 18 miles since. Yeah. So, I did what I needed to do to finish and, and have a good time and have a reasonable time. You know, it's still a respectable time. I didn't want to have a glow stick and run at night, and I didn't. Right. You know, I came in in the daylight, and so that's a victory. It's interesting to me the compartmentalization that has to occur in all of these, any kind of avenue where you're pushing your own limits by your own regard. And I mean, CrossFit is very much that way. Um, combat sports are very much that way. Anything that's individual-based, I, I think it ramps up a little bit, especially in combat sports, because someone else is attacking you also, which is a, a different element. But in CrossFit competition, it's you against you, and then that against the other submitted competition times from people all around the world. With DECA, it's you against you. With Ironman, it's you against you. So we all have interesting ways of bargaining with ourselves and dealing with ourselves to, like, get through the game of just the hard work that has to be done. There's, you can't right. get from the start line to the finish line in Ironman without grinding at some point. You just can't. Yep. There's whether you're the most competitive pro athlete you're, or you're like, you know, that guy blue running marathons in under, you know, two and a half hours. I mean that you're like anaerobic yeah. the whole time or if you're someone who's doing their very first one and all you want to do is finish, even with the glow stick, you're pushing yourself that way. So it's this interesting mental composition that not I think that, that many every, people have. 
every, I think it's a learned, it's, a, it's something you can teach yourself and it's a learned behavior that you can hone over time. I think everybody in competitive sports suffers in their event. Because if you're not, then you're not competitive. And so, you know, you're right. just out there doing it as general fitness, which is great. There's a huge segment of the population that is after fitness and, and not, they're not competitive. And that's fine. I have a competitive fire and I always will. You know, I'll be running sprints in my 90s, you know, at a meet because I want to compete against other guys that are 90. You know, right. I just like to compete yeah. against people. But every time you go into that area where you, your mind wants to say no, because it does, when you start to hurt, that's the first thing. Your brain is a giant muscle and it's telling you with a really loud voice and it's telling you, just stop. You can just sit down. You don't have to run this marathon. You can just sit on this nice bench and have this nice little bowl of soup in your Iron Man. Yeah. It, and, and you have to say, no. I know I'm physically capable of doing more. And so shut up and take a back seat, brain, and I'm going. And, he, and, and then when you're done with that event, you can go back in your, head, in, your, in your memory and remember what that felt like and how you felt physically. And you, you raise the bar a little more in your next event yeah. of the same kind. You know, you, you have that memory. You push on the bike and then you run. And you go, ooh, I didn't know I could push that hard on the bike. So the next time you push harder on the bike and you run and you still run as well. And you're like, ooh, I could push more. And so you just keep ratcheting the bar up. And, this, and that's that mental game in here that, that elite athletes all have because they can just do unbelievable yeah. things. The people you have on your show, the, the interviews are just incredible. And they, but they all have the same mindset. Yeah. And I'm just an amateur age group competitor in different sports and I have it it's just I don't I don't smash that that barrier you know in double sessions for a living right <laughs> so yeah. I haven't I haven't dialed it in to that level but I I still I, I have to apply it I want to quit I want to quit a lot same and I just say no and, and this so happened the other day <laughs> it's so funny so I have it's when I'm high frequency in jujitsu, I run on Wednesdays. I, like you, hate running. My body doesn't love running either. I feel it like every time I run. And I do this loop from our house. It's like two and a half miles. If I'm really feeling good, I'll do like a six miler or something. But I, I really keep it to this one day. It's just Wednesdays I run. And I've been running this same loop for like two years. And there's this one hill that's like 200 yards probably from bottom to the top. And every time for the last like year and a half, I'm just like, you got to run fast up this hill. So I'll just, I'll sprint the hill. It'll totally destroy my heart rate. And then it takes me about, you know, another quarter mile to get my heart rate back down to like my average run pace. And I just signed up for this tournament that I don't want to, you know, that I'm not excited about doing, but I know it'll be good for me. It'll progress my skill and it's good to be in a competitive environment every once in a while. And so I was running by this hill, and I was like, fuck, man, I got to do hill sprints. And this is like, no one, you know, no, I'm not on a team. I'm not a professional. I'm not doing this for a living. I'm a pure hobbyist, and there's no one else around telling me what to do. And I just, I'm like, I, ha I know I have to do this. And then what got in my head was, if I run by this hill and I don't do this series of hill sprints, then I'm selling myself short on my conditioning for this tournament. Mm -hmm. So I sat there and I just hit them all 
one after the other. I'd sprint up, do the walk back down as soon as I get to the bottom, go back up. And like after the second one, I'm like, fuck this, man. Like, I hate this. This sucks. Because you're completely at your lactic threshold at the top. So your legs feel like they're literally going to burn off or you're going to throw up. And you've established a set distance that you've decided to commit yourself to doing. And so, but then you get, you know, one sucks, two's really bad. But if you're only doing five, you get over three and then four is not that bad. And then you only got one left. So it's like you do this thing in your head. And then at the end, I was like, man, I'm, I am totally cooked. I, now I should just walk home. I earned it. Just like walk back home. I was like, nope, you got to run home. So I let my, the best I could get my breath back. And then I ran home and I was thinking about it a lot on the way back. And I'm like, why? Why? Why why can't I just go and just do jujitsu? Like why can't I just show up and punch the clock and just and just be another student in the academy? And I think a lot about you when I think about this stuff because I see it's like why can't dad just be the guy that shows up and does CrossFit a couple of days a week? You can't. You have to shoot for like the global list of top competitors that are within your age group and like you know track your times all year round and it just it i i always laugh so much when i think about this because i don't know what it is it's a complete intangible Mm -hmm. but somehow it trickled directly downstream and it's it's part of everything i do it's the weirdest thing it's some neurological pathway that i think it's it's genetic to a certain point that yes the brain is a muscle but I think that somehow, like, I mean, I, I, it's very curious to kind of find that out. Like, is that something that's hereditary or is that not? Because I know that the brain part of it, like you, if you had seen that hill and then said, nah, like, I'm just, I didn't get much sleep last night or I really didn't have very good nutrition in the last day and I'm not feeling it. So I'm just going to, just this one time, I'm going to bail. <laughs> that's like no different than skipping the reps like if you're doing sit-ups, Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say it's the first 80 that are just, they don't count. It's the ones It's only the last 20, count. yep. Right, right. And, it, and that's true. And so that's an exercise. The brain just missed out on some really good exercise of you saying, it saying, I don't want to do this. And you saying, we're doing it. It's like, that's a rep for the brain. But if you yeah. say, okay, no problem, then that's a victory for the brain. They skip the reps and it's like, it, it, it doesn't exercise that part of the brain muscle that is critical for competitiveness. Like that. Well, and then that, your, your likelihood of making the decision of giving yourself the out is higher in the future. Right, exactly. Cause we're just animals in the end and it, that's how we train. Yep. If you give them the treat without doing the trick, then they're never going to do the trick again. They're just yeah. Gonna want the treat. No, it's totally like it's a, the same a, thing. a primordial, like, yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. And to be aware but of there's that people, is very valuable. But there's a huge segment of the population, again, that, that just want um, just regular fitness. They want to come to the gym. They want to feel supported in an environment where they can be exactly who they are that day without judgment by their peers or others. And they want to go in and they want to work out and they want to break a sweat and go home. Yeah. And whether for them that's just towing that uncomfortable line and then backing off they've still got a sweat on and they kind of did their thing and, and backed off. Whereas I would find that line 
and if today's training warranted it to push up into that lactate, <laughs> you know, where it really hurts and then come back out, then that's what I would do. And it, it, everybody's different. But there's a, plenty of people that are not wired like what we were just talking about. And it, they're like, no, I, I wouldn't want to join, join a competition or a race or an event. It's like it doesn't appeal to them at all. And I totally respect that. It's just that's not how I'd be curious to do a, a widespread survey on were their parents athletes, competitive athletes or no, you know, and kind of see if there's any kind of correlation between generational athleticism in the parents and or not. It's kind of an interesting science sort of thing. Yeah, if it's the like nature versus nurture concept, if it's learned or if it's inherent, I, I think that's, yeah. I've always kind of felt like maybe it's some of both, like you can learn to, to push yourself harder. And I think team sports lend themselves to that because of the camaraderie aspect. You can be someone who maybe <clears throat> wouldn't push yourself to a seven on your own, but in a team setting, you push yourself to an eight. And I think that happens a lot. So mm -hmm. it can happen the, on the individual side of it. it. It's also depending on like where you're starting and where you're going, right? Like maybe you're not doing hill sprints the very first time you run by this hill, but the first time you walk up it and then, you know, a couple of months later you decide you're going to jog up it and then you do that for a year so, or whatever and, and progress it. So it in just in that little example, but I think that the behavior of pushing that limit, one, it can be figured out as you go, but two, as your fitness improves and as your abilities improve, then your likeliness to take on new challenges also improves. So if you've mm -hmm. never been in a CrossFit gym before, let's say, you're not going to RX the first watt, right? You're going to learn the movements, right? Maybe you're doing everything with a PVC pipe first. And just the thought of doing it any other way is so overwhelming. And then you, you and this happens in, in, in gyms all over the place. I mean, look at to the group of people that are there. A lot of those people at one point were not the hardcore like sure. worker that they are now you know they kind of they developed that and they learned that in the setting and with the skill set and with the mechanics and then all those tools put together really allowed them to like push to that next level mm -hmm. but where that line is i i don't know yeah it's interesting it's interesting because you know i'm incredibly driven as you know in and and i can like do like i've chosen these solo kind of things and yet Today was a perfect example. You know, there was a, a workout at the gym, and, and it was five rounds of handstand push-ups and 800-meter runs. And I knew that based on just my particular training right now, because I'm kind of, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I'm transitioning out of strict CrossFit training right now. Um, and so I'm, I knew that today was going to be like totally recovery day, like zone two running. So... Um, but I knew that it would be much, I would have a much more enjoyable time and I would do, it would be more quality if I went to the gym to do that. I could have run out the door here and done 800 meter laps, you know, in, in, but, but I, I don't have that, like David Goggins <laughs> drive. You're you not know, broken. To do that. So I went to the gym and I, and I had a great workout with laughing and joking and carrying on and I got my 800s at, at zone two and I wasn't going to do the handstand push-ups and then I did them all anyway but so that happened but it mainly it, I didn't have to go out and 
grind it, it was fun and I got the work in. So going to an environment that was social, I liked. So I'm not like this solo animal out there just like with the competitive blinders on. So I, I really like that. It's a really good balance because I don't, there's way more to life for me than just double and triple sessions and putting, totally. you know, I think I'd be a be much better athlete if I did that, but I, I don't want to do that. Well, it's also priorities. It's what is the, at the end of the day, and, and this is actually, I guess, in a, in a way, a good segue into what DECA is and, and everything that they're about, but like, what is the end goal that you're after? Is it longevity and health and enjoyment and, and pushing yourself where the opportunity presents itself or is it to be the best person in the world ever of all time? And if it's more on like the longevity side and, and doing things that keep you healthy, but allow you to push yourself, like you, even in the, mm -hmm. the CrossFit sphere, like you're learning a lot about your body. You're learning a lot about how to take care of your body because CrossFit presents you with issues that you have to deal with, right? Like it, it puts you in a, in an environment that tests what you have and wheels fall off sometimes when that happens. So you're forced to learn a lot about how you move, how you recover, what tendencies you have. And all of those things really do help you with longevity because you're, you're, it's, it's like movement. If you understand better where your body is in space, you become a better mover. So if you understand better how your body works, recovers, exerts energy, digests food, then you're going to become a better athlete and, a, and longevity should improve because of your knowledge. So within those, the DECA and the CrossFit world, you don't have to want to be Rich Froning to have a good time and to get the benefits. Right. No, I, I definitely, for me personally, I'm into it for just, it does two things. It keeps me mentally stable because <laughs> I require that exertion of energy and the de-stressor that it provides for me. Yep. And then... I just like being fit. I know how I, I feel like when I'm out of shape, life is more difficult to get around physically. And I just, I just feel better when I'm fit and I'm not fanatical about it. Some people would uh, beg to differ, but it, I don't feel I am, you know, I take random days off as my body tells me, I don't have this strict structure. I don't have two a days. I, you know, unless I really feel up for it and want to do it, but it, it's, uh, it's definitely an absolute critical thing to have consistency in my life. And I, if I look back over four decades, you know, and when I was in my teens is when I really first started to um, sort of go to athletic events, like sign up for races and stuff like that. So it's been since then, I'm 57 now. So it's been a long time and just being a student of it, of what my body does. And I'm still learning. I'm getting some body work done now um, from a, a specialist and working on some shoulder issues that I've had that are more like just really long-term stuff that, that I should finally be looking at. And, you know, I just, half of my session is asking and listening, asking questions and listening to the answers, learning about all where all the, where my lats attach to and what things are going on so that I, 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 and I love all that stuff. So it's all, it, there's such a broad range of stuff that you can learn and be in the health environment and the whole nutrition side of it and the exercise. It's like, wow, there's so much and it's constantly changing as we learn with science and 
and statistics and facts and technology. It's, it's unbelievable where we can go with it now. And, you know, the things that we can do as humans are just, I mean, the Berlin Marathon, I mean, he almost broke two hours the other day. It was 201 really? change. 20108, wow. I think was it. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's wait, that's running a. It's like, I, I, I don't want to do the math right now, but it's like running sub 450s the whole way. It's something like that. Somebody will <laughs> take offense to that because it's way under sub five. Yeah, I'm just it's trying to think. For 26.2. Like how to understand. If, if anyone listening ran the fastest that they could possibly run for 40 yards, right, an all-out sprint, and you multiply that pace to get a mile, you're probably not touching, for the average person, you're probably not touching, even then, the pace that this person finished the marathon at. That is so ungodly fast. Yeah, it's, it's for, for crazy. Most, for almost everyone, that's a full sprint. For a marathon, for 26.2 miles, you're running as fast as you possibly can run. And they're doing that in all sports. They're doing that in but all it, sports. But it's because, the, the the, like you said, the, the science and the understanding are, have gotten so much better. And the knowledge of nutrition and recovery that you can better push the athletes because you know more. And it, like talking to uh, Richard Diaz was really interesting because he's done over a thousand vo2 assessments on elite athletes so he's done way more in total do, helping general population but a thousand elite athlete vo2 maxes and the information that you can extract from that and then program unique to this individual person's aerobic or anaerobic thresholds to change the way that they do their training and then couple that with nutrition and then put them in the environment to go compete it's just the more data sets that you have, the more people have run marathons, the more people have competed, the right. more people have done events and provided information around it and they've provided their heart rate. It's, it's like you just get more to play with and with that we're getting people to run faster and faster and faster or snatch more or squat more or deadlift more or do more back-to-back -back rounds or you know whatever it is. So sport is changing across the board at just like an insane pace as we know more about the physiology physiology of what's happening to the athlete while they're doing the thing right i and think on, while on that note, that's happening yeah on, while that's happening and i think we're going to segue into the same thing that there's more and more and more and more people in the population that are turning to like sports of this nature that where they can t really test themselves over variety like instead of this single modal you know like modality like running or swimming right. or right. biking or you know now the the OCR stuff the obstacle course racing yep. stuff the you have the Spartan races with all of the obstacles and then you have um high rocks which came out of that which is less obstacles more running but t 10 or eight obstacles in the in the, well physical challenges tests in the middle of that to deca which is 10 physical tests with running or not and it's like and those sports are blooming all over the world because people are are realizing we don't need to go in and look at the mirror in the globo gym right that works for some people, and so that's fine. But there's a lot of people that want to be challenged on a broader sense, and so those sports are really taken off.
just well, and really... one thing that's really positive about all this kind of stuff is that when you have something that you're working towards there's a lot of in a lot of things that change without your effort you're putting the effort towards getting the thing done you signed up for the marathon you're going to run it you signed up for the sprint triathlon you're going to do it you signed up for a deca event it's on this date as soon as that number is in your head or that day is on the calendar there's things that just change about how you do stuff you make changes in your nutrition no matter who you are whether you're someone who lives a sedentary lifestyle or someone who's really active it just happens you just things start to change because you there's skin in the game now there's something on the line and whether you're doing it because you want to finish or because you want to qualify for nationals that psychology adjusts and it's one of in my eyes having coach people for years it's one of the most powerful things you can do on like a weight loss journey if you tag any kind of physical performance goal to it whether it's to to walk a 5k or to do your first 10k or to do a deca event whatever it is it adjusts the way that people do everything and they see great po progress in their weight management during that time because they just they make better choices because it matters and so with like the DECA stuff, it's really cool because I think, and, and we'll explain what DECA is for everyone that doesn't know, but CrossFit attracts a very specific, a lot, a, a lot of these people in total, but a very specific type of person. Like you do have to possess a certain switch in your body to be able to push through this threshold to complete a a workout to actually submit that for like an annual games competition, right? You got to be able to go in, in the pain cave a little bit and work and pop out on the other side and lay on the floor dead, right? It's kind of like if you're on not a consistent in, basis on a, yeah, a couple of days a week. And, and there's some gripe yeah. about the programming and CrossFit and, and this or that. But for the most part, that structure and the bravado that comes with it, it's going to turn a lot of people off which is fine. It, it is, it, that is no means for CrossFit to adjust who it is, right? It's a great product and right. it's done wonderful things for the world of fitness. Amazing things from equipment to personalities, everything. But there's a lot of people that might be intimidated by that kind of structure that still want something. And maybe they don't want to sign up to do a Spartan that's 10.2 miles because that's a long run. And they're looking for something in the middle. And it sounds like DECA... The, the multiple offerings that they have is a fantastic way for all skill levels, including the competitive person, to come into this. So maybe you can explain a little bit what, what DECA is, how it mm -hmm. came about, and it's like adjacent relationship to CrossFit and what drew you into it. Sure. Well, um, I don't know the exact year that uh, DECA uh, first formed, but... Um, I know there was a there's a partnership. It, it was born out of Spartan racing, and Spartan racing is like obstacles and running. It's usually like on a ski mountain uh, type environment where you're running up and down, and you're doing these obstacles. You're crawling through mud, and you're going up and over things with ropes, and it requires teammates. And we've all probably seen videos of that. Yep. And you're, there's a lot of overhead sort of um, things like that have to mother. happen, and there's usually burpee penalties and things like that and, and it's, it's incredibly physical and it's very challenging um some of the obstacles are really intimidating for a lot of people and so 
although it has a huge following and there's different distances and and but but there re there was recognized a need for a, a type a similar type of structured event that didn't have such intimidating obstacles and so Yancey Culp and the John I think it's Cena is the John Cena was the CEO or something to that effect of Spartan and they co-founded DECA and DECA is as you would expect 10 it's 10 stations and there's three different lengths of discipline and the stations are always the same and they're always in the same order and it's if it's a DECA strong it's just those 10 stations and, no running um, there's no running and the stations are always the same you have there's something specific to uh, Spartan and it's a ram it's a it's a metal tube that has foam on the outside and it's hollow and you can kind of grip it like this and it's different weights and there's um, so you're during these 10 events occasionally you use these things and they're specific to Spartan um, but they're used in the deck events so you do lunges you flip that thing up and you do lunges alternating lunges where you touch your knee and it's and uh, you do 30 of those and you immediately go to a 500 meter run um, and I mean, I'm sorry, 500 meter row, and then I got my cheat seat here because sometimes <laughs> I get them mixed up. Then you go right to 20 box stepovers, and um, the 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 it doesn't matter how old or young you are. The weights and the and the distances are always the same. They're just different for women. There's a set, and I, don't, I haven't memorized those weights yet. So but these then, aren't, the but it's not seat. like CrossFit where you got like a ninety-pound sandbag you're throwing over your shoulder, and if you can't lift ninety pounds, then you can't do the event. It's supposed, to, it's like right. very they're applicable. All, to they're everyone. all reachable things. They're all gotcha. doable things. Um, any and then med ball sit-ups, twenty-five pound med ball sit-ups like this. You go back, you touch the ball, you go forward, you touch the ball, you do twenty-five of those right into a five hundred meter skate ski, um, right into hundred meter. Two dumbbells, one in each hand, 60 pounds. You go for 100 meters. Uh, when you're done with that, you go right into a 25-calorie assault bike. And that's where the work really begins because now all of a sudden it's, you're up to full body because you kind of start out with these things that are maybe legs or they're maybe right. arms or they're the rear chain, and now all of a sudden you're using everything. And hopefully you've paced it right so you don't die on that bike because that can really eat up time. And then you go to... 20 60 pound dead balls over the shoulder you got to drop those over the shoulder sure. um and then a tank it's a wheeled uh, tank with resistance and you got to pull and push that for 100 meters down and back uh, yeah so it's like, like a wheelbarrow meters. push basically yeah it's like a four-wheeled tank sled with arms that come up like this and you push oh yeah, and yeah. pull that yeah. thing and um and you can have different there's two different resistances one for male one for female and then when you're done with that, you do 20 ram burpees. Again, you have that ram. It's a different weight. It's 44 pounds. You go down, the burpee to your chest, snap to your feet, up over your head, 20 of those. You're done. You cross the finish line, and you're smoked. And it could take you anywhere from 15 to, I mean, the elites are doing it in 11 minutes up to, you know, however long it takes. It might take you 45 minutes, whatever you find a pace, and all of those things are doable. You can do 20 of these or 30 of these or 500 meters on this. You just find a pace. That's the strong. Then you have the mile, which each of those 10, the same 10 stations, are preceded by a 160-meter run. So you run, then you do those lunges, then you run, then you do the, the row, etc. Gotcha. And that, again, 
depending on how long it takes you. And that to those 10 runs total a mile. Gotcha. So however long it might take you a mile of compromised running because you're coming off these machines and you know you're going on to new machines so you're not smoking the sprints, it, that'll be, you know, whatever kind of time, 15 to minutes to an hour. Who knows? Right. Then the last one is DECA Fit, which is preceded by a 500-meter run, which is a total of 5K run. So that's like on so, a track, right? So that's like two laps. You do a... You do a it's usually it's set up in, usually inside like an, an arena. Yep. And you, um, you, you leave the station, you go two laps around, and you come into station two just before it. Then you do gotcha. two laps around, you come into station three just before that. And you kind of counterclockwise go back around or clockwise, depending on how they have it set up. So you're always doing the same amount of run each time. So and how does, like, when, so when each you're one smoked, of those is very different go. because a big, powerful, strong athlete can crush sure. the strong event which has no running, but they might not do so well in the fit event, which has a total of a 5K. So that's more suited to runners that, that have strength. So it's, the, and like for me, I'm kind of in between. I'm not a fast runner, but I'm a decent runner, and I'm strong, so I can do the, the fitness zones well. So it's a good combo. So the mile event is really good for me. So because gotcha, it's like the blend of the two. It's the blend of the two, especially when you start getting up into fifty. I'm in the fifty to fifty-five to fifty-nine age group. There's not a lot of guys that have full function from the top of this to their toes. Like right. they got body parts that over the years have been busted up, myself included, and you, you're working with that. But so that's the sport, and I think that it really. And then they also have, they do, and I haven't, I don't know that much about it because I haven't been focused on it, and I'm trying to do a cram session um, on the whole DECA thing, is they have a body weight option. So again, it appeals to people yep. that they don't want to carry 60-pound dumbbells. So they, I, I'm not quite sure how they, what the station is. Maybe they do, right. I, I don't know, but it's, it's a bear you do body weight things um, to get through. So totally doable it's scaled down to pretty much anybody can do it maybe it's push-ups from your knees on something and things like that which are which is awesome so they keep they've appealed to a whole side of people who love to do crazy like broad-ranging things in right. an event kind of be more well-rounded athlete and and yet not have to to suffer some of these really kind of scary things that it might be intimidating. So they break it down. And then maybe in a couple of years, when they get good at this, then they go into the, the Spartan kind of thing. Right. Um, well, that's one thing so, that with CrossFit. It's the barrier to entry, I've always thought, is barbell mechanics. Like, you, if you don't have a hold on barbell mechanics or gymnastics, you're going to find hurdles in CrossFit a lot. Because you're going to just generally be at risk for injury if if you can't pull a deadlift safely and you have to do twenty one fifteen nine deadlifts, that's bad. Right. If you can't do a front squat right and you got to do thrusters, that's bad. If you can't do a pull up and you're supposed to do kipping pull ups, that's bad. So there's like all these points in CrossFit where you need to develop this skill, which is a beautiful thing about it, right? It, it, there is a skill acquisition component of CrossFit that's great and it. it can bring you along 
and keep you consistent for a while. And there's some phenomenal coaches out there that are guiding this stuff. This sounds like it's a lot easier to enter into from any point because you really just have to be able to secure this item. And then there's CrossFit elements like the assault bike and the rower that are anaerobic and tough and they're difficult and they might stem from that, but you don't really have to learn that much to use an assault bike. You got to be able to sit upright, push and pull and pedal. And so you can work yourself, but you're not, you're not placing yourself at risk because like your elbows don't lock out when you're overhead or something like that. Right. And you're not putting your body weight overhead, hoping that your elbows are going to lock out, <laughs> Right. you know? So <laughs> yeah. it, I've, I've, I went to and competed in a number of, of DECA events this summer, I think like eight or nine of them. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a marathon. If you stay at the finish of a marathon, it's all walks. It's from the elite yeah. one where you'd go, oh yeah, definitely a runner. You know, she's a runner, he's a runner. Like that's what they do. But it's all shapes and sizes. And the same in these, these gyms, all, there's hundreds of these gyms that are DECA specific where it's kind of minimal equipment. They don't need these big rigs and, and these piles of Olympic weights like CrossFit gyms do. And so they, they, um, they're smaller oftentimes or they're at YMCA's and things like that because they can just get one, a couple of tanks or something like that. And, and they've, they've got the equipment that they need. And, and I've seen all kinds of people doing these events when I go to them. And, and you know, I, it, it, it's really fun to see. Because there's a lot of people that are just doing it just to start and finish and to say, I did it. It's a big high five. You know, I have so much respect for those people that are just in it to try something new. And, and they come out the other side and they put it just as much effort as I have. Yep. And, you know, it, it, the smile on their face and, and, and the encouragement that they get from their fellow competitors and, and, and bystanders, it's, it's really fun. I mean, I love that more than almost anything else in all of these sports is the support from fellow competitors and, and spectators, you know, and the the coaches. That's one thing I've appreciated about, I've only found out about DECA since you started getting involved with it and competing. But one thing that I I found I like a lot is that exact thing is it seems like it's more welcoming just in general. It's like, Hey, you've been going to the gym, you've been running a little bit. Why not just, sign up, do it, see, have some fun with your friends, like find an application for all the work that you're doing, which is mm-hmm. something that I think in the past from like a more macro view of the fitness industry is like you touched on earlier, there's people that will always be working out for the aesthetic and that's great. It's good. Like they're doing something positive for themselves and it's good for their body. And that's awesome. If that's the thing that's motivating you to get into the to gym and find your consistency all the time, like hats off. For a lot of people, they get to a point where you've kind of honed this new skill. You're more athletic or fit than you used to be, but now what? And so this gives you an answer to the now what, because in, in the past, the now what was do a triathlon or go or start doing CrossFit, right? There wasn't a really good functional application of like, let's take some of the movements that you've been practicing and, you know, before you couldn't do a lunge, now you can do a lunge, you can do a box step up, you learned how to use the rower, you learned how to run safely, pain-free. Why don't you go try this out and see how it feels? And you can see it on people's face. I mean, if you go watch any of the videos, right, like all walks of life, you said crossing the finish line, it's ear-to-ear smile. Because yep. 
for the first time, maybe that person's experiencing like the joy of con- there's nothing better than finishing a competition or yeah. like something yeah. you've been working towards. You know, you've been working your ass mm-hmm. off for it. Whether you set a record and you qualify for nationals or you cross the finish line, it's a it's amazing, and you can see it on their face how cool that is, and it's fantastic that there's this avenue now which i will say it sounds like we're saying this is just like an easy event for anyone to do the elite competition and the and your qualifications they're pretty bonkers i think i told you this early on like i went on youtube and checked some of this stuff out and i watched it must have been an elite uh what was the last one you said not the mile the the fit. fit I watched one of those. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! I mean, these are world class athletes. They're not like, oh yeah, run of the mill. And I got to say, at my level too, it's it's the one of the hardest things I've ever done, physically. Like, really? Yeah, and and that's totally up to my self regulation. Like I choose to go there, right? I choose right. to push into that space, but it it just the way it's brilliantly designed. I mean, Yancey figured it out, you know, where you start out easy and you really have to watch your pace. And I mean, you're going at 85, 90%, at least until you hit the bike, you know, and then you try to unload on that and, and then go and hang on. But, you know, everyone's got different strategies, but I'm in it. Like the voice saying, just, just, back off a touch or just, you know, why don't you just take it easy is pretty freaking loud for a long time yeah. <laughs> in those events. And maybe it's cause I'm new to them. I don't know, but it's, uh, it's, it's barking in my ear the whole time. And I, I'm smoked when I'm done with those and I love it. Like I want to do it again, you know? And, and, and I, I think part of that is I'm still, I'm still figuring it out. I'm, every time I race, I get a little better or I tweak something, try something out a little differently. Um, but to the last part of your question was, you know, I've been doing CrossFit for 10 years and my goal for a long time with CrossFit was to drive down into the top 200. Cause that was like, you qualify for the final level in age groups to like the next, the online qualifier, they called it. And out of that, you get a new series of workouts. There's the open every year and there's like five weeks of that. And if you qualify in the top 200 at the end of that, then you go into the online qualifier and they release usually five workouts that you have to finish in one week. And out of that final leaderboard, the top 20 in each age group used to go to the games. Now it's down to 10. Sometimes it fluctuates. There's been a little bit of uh, up and down there. But, and I, I achieved my goal a couple of years ago. I got down into the top 200, did the online qualifier, got down to 115th in the world, I think which is like the upper half of 1%. And I was like, sweet. And I recognize my limiters. I'm like, I have some old injuries. I have some skills that that lack of gymnastics skill set. Certain things started to show up that if you want to get down and really swim in that cream of the crop, then you really need to have these things honed in. And, and I'm like, I know what it's going to take to get those last 1% out of everything and the amount of training and the amount of focus and the amount of dialing in all these different things. And do I want to do that? And as I was questioning that, I was also looking at my body and, you know, Abe, we've, you and I have had discussions over the last year or so, year and a half about how you, you have to, like, if things, 
things are not going to get better. You know, if you have a, like I have a foot injury from years ago, right. I fell off a roof and shattered my foot and it's, it shows up like I can't jump off the thing for like the last five years and that's a limiter. And so either I get it looked at and fixed or it's going to get worse. And of course it did, it got worse. And so then my right, right knee blew out and then my right shoulder blew out and they're all related. <laughs> so, okay. So I said, okay, I give, I'm going to start like taking care of myself now. So I need to back off on my training and I need to see a specialist and I need to get, start working here and then work on the knee and then get down to the foot. Right. So simultaneously with that, I said, okay, I'm not doing any more overhead pressing because I like some rotator cuff stuff. It's not an injury. Yep. It's just over and under compensation things, tendonitis and all kinds of things going on there that I'm working on. But I had to change my training. So I'm still doing CrossFit, but now I can't or I don't. I'm electing not to do kipping pull-ups. Uh, usually I don't do handstand push-ups, but like I use two mats, so my range of motion was much lower, so I'm not pushing all the way down. So protecting that shoulder, um, double unders, I'm not doing that because I'm not jumping off the ball on my foot. Things like that. So now I'm so right about that same time of like, okay, I got to start doing different things. I'm sitting and I'm looking at YouTube videos of athletic things, which I do. I don't watch TV, <laughs> but I do that. And, oh, look at this cool sport. You know, it's like cardio. Right. That's my jam. So I saw the DECA and I said, ooh, I, that looks like something I'd be good at. And so I looked it up and then I found out, oh, there's one in Connecticut. So I went down, I signed up, and, and it was a DECA mile. No run training other than a few 800s and stuff here. And I happen to be the gym, which is run by Kevin Gregory and his wife, Jen, Underdog Fitness. And he's an elite, top elite competitor in DECA. So I hit the nucleus of, I mean, he has, he and their partner have- That's where you're at now? No, that's where I went for my first event. So I went to a gotcha. really yeah, good yeah. gym to get my my- my initial race in it just happened gotcha. to be yep. could have been anywhere but this guy was had this setup like perfect he was like he's a pro competitor he's an elite he's got the number two time in the strong in the world in the in the elite category and he and he's number one time in the team the pairs mixed pairs and so i was like wow and i could pepper him with questions and it was like all the right information right and so because he's been doing it for a while and so I got hooked um, and I put up a national qualifying world championship qualifying time at the time. And I'm like, whoa, that was like, I really, A, I really enjoyed it. Is that because no one's competing or because it was that good? It's held up. It's no, there's, there's like wow. 200 and something guys that posted competitive <laughs> so, time. So you walked in there and you just like basically smoked the hell out of it. Yeah. I remember <laughs> his wife. She was my judge because I said, look, I'm used to like, quasi like blacking out during CrossFit events. And so I need somebody that knows what they're doing so they can tell me the numbers because I'm not going to be able to count past three. You like forget right. counting 25. Yeah, you're in go mode. You're in go mode. I can't count. So I need a judge. Yeah. I'm very clear to my judge. You need to count in fives and then you need to count down the last five and then you're going to tell me when there's one and go. And then you got to yell at me to where <laughs> when I'm coming around on my run, where to go next. Like, this is your station, Hudson, over here, you know, the big orange flag, like here. Because right. I'm like, I just go in a different place in my head. And okay. so she was like, 
I remember somebody asking her, I was sort of in mid blackout zone and I'm on this bike or the skate ski or something. And, and he said, how's he doing? And she goes, he's doing really well. <laughs> I just remember hearing that it just sort of stuck out. And then at the end she goes, look at this. And, and then it posts on a global leaderboard, which is pretty cool. Like it's instantaneously. Yeah. So it's immediately there and you can see it. And that I've since improved on that time, but that time would have qualified me for the worlds, but I since improved on that. So I ended up seventh in the world in the mile, seventh in the world in the strong, and ninth in the world in the fit. Wow. So all the world championship invites came out, and I declined the fit one because it's too much volume to do. It's in one weekend in November. I was in, gonna, yeah, in you can't do all all three of those at that level. So, if you're going to go do it to like to do it, sure. Right. But if you're going to go do it to compete, it's probably. And I, and I lot. believe it or not, like I'm, I'm, I'm throwing the dart way high and I'm saying, all right, I'm going to, I'm reaching for the podium. So what's my yeah. best chance? And I'm 11 seconds off the podium in the, in the strong and I'm 26 seconds or something off the podium in the mile. And that's, they're about the same gain that you have to get because it's you know you're not going to gain as much time in the strong versus a couple of seconds per run in the mile and you're gonna you might be right there so i've signed up i declined the world invite for the fit because that's on saturday and that would just trash me for sunday yeah, you'd be throttled and so i'm doing the strong late morning on sunday and then the mile six hours later so, so when you're what do I do? when you're at the at the end of one of these events you've done two Ironmans, you've competed in CrossFit for 10 years, you're into these DECA events. When you're smoked at the end of a DECA event, how does it compare to CrossFit and to Ironman? The Ironman is a whole different ball of wax because it's like what your body does to get you through, like the hormonal things and the adrenal things that go on and the it's so long that it's a totally different drain. Like yeah. you are smoked for like a week, right? <laughs> if, when you're done with an Ironman event, like forget it. You just put your training shoes, you hang up, you know, you can't even walk for a couple of days. You know, it's like you're done. And don't even, and, and don't even ask me if I'm ever going to do any athletic event again for at least four days after an Ironman. Right. You know, I'm not, I'm not even going to run a 2K, right? Right. So that's different, but <laughs> CrossFit, it's interesting because before each event, like in a competition, I'm nervous as heck, like really nervous. Just I am because it hurts and it's hard and you have to ask a lot of yourself to get through it on a competitive yeah. level. So that's a good sign that I'm nervous and I get the butterflies when I think about it a couple days beforehand, you know. Because that's my body preparing the adrenal and the thing like I'm getting prepared. I'm like, oh, that's a good sign. I've learned to accept that instead of be afraid yeah. of it. Yes. I'm like, yes, it's doing all the right things to get me prepared, right? And then you go in and and all I say now is I'm bringing the best version of myself that I can to that day, and then be it as it may. You can have a good day, you can have a bad day, and I've had both on competition days. And so it's yeah. oftentimes it's outside of your control. You just have to accept that you're bringing, you've done the work. Now enjoy yourself. 
sometimes the enjoyment doesn't happen until later. But you, you, at the end, you're just smoked. But the the CrossFit events and the Deca events, they're short enough. They're within like 15 minutes. You're mostly recovered. Yeah, your right. your central nervous system is whacked, and and there's things that are really depleted inside of you. But you can get up and you can walk around and you converse with people and you can consider going out to dinner and you can stay awake. You know, you're, <laughs> you're still alive. So those those events. My, my are, motivation for doing an Ironman is just like. It's just like <laughs> plummeting. <laughs> it's like I had zero desire. Now I have like negative desire to to do it. Yeah, it's it, it's that's a whole. But nother, you're whole wax, but you're anaerobically cached at the end of a CrossFit workout. Maybe a little more too on like the the pump of just so many reps and so many exercises, and then you're cached at the end of a Deca event. But maybe it's a little bit more just the anaerobic smack of like you put everything out there as hard as you could and your heart rate was just tapping out for the last five minutes straight and now you're you're done and you want to break well the data says otherwise for me like really i wear i wear a whoop i've got it on right now and this yep. this gives me all kinds of feedback i'm mainly the most it, insane tan on your arms. <laughs> yeah. It's a whoop tan. Right? But um, so it records my heart rate and my, my energy exertion and my strain and my sleep and recovery and all this stuff. But when I look at a workout, my heart rate goes like from here and it's like three, two, one, go. Blam. <laughs> okay, time. And it goes down like that. It is not something that goes like this. You're talking, you're talking about a DECA event? I'm talking about CrossFit. I'm talking about DECA. I'm talking about how it doesn't matter for you. Okay, so this is not to stop center tracks, but this was a fascinating piece of talking to Richard Diaz, which I don't know if you listened to that episode or not, but this was like kind of kind of put me on my ass because I've done so much VO2 testing with clients and talking about the aerobic and anaerobic thresholds and where you should train and why you should train there and what energy systems your body's using. And he and I were reflecting a little bit more specific to martial arts for a, like a couple minutes in the episode. And I was saying, I'm like, look, well, shouldn't we have like an aerobic base? This is an idea you hear all the time at fitness, having an aerobic base, right? That you, you have a couple days in the week where you train this low intensity zone to manager floor, basically. And he was to the effect of, he's like, why the hell would you do that? The second that you and your opponent slap hands, you're anaerobic. Because if they shoot for a takedown, if you grab their collar, if they grab, like whatever it is that happens, the second anything starts, those first minute to two minutes, and in a, a jiu-jitsu match specifically, it's a five-minute time period, he's like, you're 100% anaerobic instantaneously from what's happening hormonally, but also just your body, the way it kicks on. It's not a slow start and a steady increase. And mm-hmm. it just kind of like, it stopped me in my tracks for a second. His whole purpose behind this with his book um, is he argues for more anaerobic training for endurance athletes, which again, seems counterintuitive when you think right. about all the different information that's come about, but that he actually has guys like Blue or Hunter McIntyre training anaerobically a lot in preparation right. for endurance events. Right. And it's it's to this exact point. Is it like 
when you do look at what happens to your body, the second that they say go, all those butterflies from the days before leading up to it, your preparation, the nervousness, everything, that hits and it's fucking on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, I think we all respond differently and that is definitely how, I mean, over the years, and I think you even said that your heart rate does that too. Like, I, oh, yeah. I seem to recall a conversation Well, well that's like the that. thing is we don't, that was his point, is we don't all respond differently. In these settings, we all respond the same, but we respond counterintuitive to what everyone says we do. Like, when you, if you're at a deck event, unless you're, unless you're someone who's not competing, and that, that is a big thing to point out. Like, mm-hmm. if you're someone who's going to go through the event, it's your first time, you're just going through the things you might have a more gradual rise if you reflect on your whoop data. But for someone who's competing, the second the gun goes off, if you're a swimmer, if you're a runner, if you're trying to get through all the stations, you're hard in the paint immediately. And what probably then the tick, 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 that's more of the stabilization, but you're really stabilizing in an anaerobic. Right. That's my window to compete. Like I can hold that for 43 minutes, you know, in a workout, which is bonkers. Right, but that's like because I've done a lot of, evidently, a lot of training in that zone. And so my right, body is exactly. like, ooh, I can sit here and settle in. Whereas yep. for, like you said, for a non-competitive, untrained or lesser trained athlete, you're not going to be able to settle into that zone. You're going to hit no, you that think you're and gonna you're going to die. Crash out of it and you're going to be yeah. like pulling off to the sidelines because you're not well. And, and, but I was always I was surprised when I when I saw that data that that's how I operate, and I was surprised when I heard him say it because you have um, Chris Hinshaw with Aerobic Capacity. Yep. You heard of him? I've heard the he name. Was triathlete back in the day came in second in the Hawaiian Ironman in the eighties, yep. and now he's he trains a lot of the Mayhem athletes and a whole number host of CrossFit athletes that that. Traditionally, CrossFit athletes have always felt that if they want to get faster at something that's short and intense, they have to keep training at short and intense workouts, which is what Diaz was saying. Right. But Hinshaw took a a number of these athletes, and and this is where you have, okay, you have Diaz's philosophy and you have Chris Hinshaw's philosophy. He took a lot of these, like Jason Kalipa. He had zero aerobic capacity. So he said, okay, Jason, we got to back you down. we got to get you out on some long, slow stuff. Yep. And he did because it's a different calling on different muscle fibers and, and, and delivery systems than your fast twitch and, and you know, going that route. And, and he improved these athletes tremendously mm-hmm. in that area. So it's contrary to what Diaz says, but what Diaz says also has some merit because you take somebody like Blue who trains under him and improves. So it's like... Right. It, it, and yet we're individuals and yet there's so much that, that crosses over that it, like you say, is not individualized. And right. it's, well, me, I've always, amateur, I, I remember I've always had baffling. this ability, like when I was playing soccer as a kid, or if we were doing wind sprints for ski training or something, I, I can recall always having an ability to, to push into a higher heart rate zone and stay for a while. Mm-hmm. And it, not that not that it's enjoyable or comfortable. It's always uncomfortable and it always sucks. But there's a difference between sucking and being uncomfortable and not being able to do it. And it's sucking and being uncomfortable and being able to sustain that horribleness 
for a while, like to be able to sprint a long distance and then barely stop and then do the same distance again versus mm-hmm. try and then just not be able to. So there's definitely some, and Diaz talked about that too, that there were some athletes that he's done VO2 assessments on and it's, he's just floored at their results because there are, you know, so, everyone's going to be different and some people are going to be predisposed to perform better at those higher heart rates and be able to maintain it just as is without training. Right. Like I remember him talking about the differences of VO2 max. Like he was shocked. Like there's some like elite cyclists who have a really low VO2. And mm-hmm. then there's other athletes with a really high. And you'd think, I always thought the higher, the, number, higher the, better better. the athlete. Yeah. Like, oh my God, that's off the charts. He's an unbelievable athlete. Yeah. Yep. He is, but so is the guy with a really low one. He's an unbelievable, he's a seven-time world champion cyclist, right. you know, and yet he's got like a 56 or something yeah. like that. You're like, what? And it, it, it's those kinds of things. Like, I think that more than anything, training has become really individualized. And yeah. so the more you know your own body, your own abilities, your own limitations, and then challenge those, then you're going to become a better athlete. Like instinctively, you start to learn things and do things as a competitive athlete. I think that a lot of um, more amateur athletes or recreational athletes that are a little bit more than recreational, I think, are like more than like random, like weekend tennis athletes or weekend golfers. But like amateur athletes are people that go to a gym on a regular basis three, four times a week to maintain that fitness that we talked about earlier. And they have coaches helping them stay within the guidelines or giving them scaling options or challenging them and giving them information that they're absorbing and learning. So I forgot where I was going with that, but I think that there's a lot of, you know, you have the different layers of athletes and that once you go above and past the amateur level three to four times a week with coaches and somebody like myself, like I'm a voracious reader and I want to learn more about this and I listen to your podcast and I'm like, yeah, but Chris Hinshaw is saying this and <laughs> Diaz is saying that. And and then you got Nestor talking about breathing and nasal breathing and I'm like, this is fascinating. And, and people say, don't ever nasal breathe. You know, you should never challenge your body that way. And then you got, you should challenge. Right. And, and I think that it, when, when these people dig in, Chris Hinshaw made a really great point. He was asked, do you think that, you know, nasal breathing is becoming a really big thing? There's a lot of attention around it. Do you think it's a smart thing to do? And he said, the important thing for anybody to do is evaluate each individual and say, is this going to give that athlete the most gain for what they need to turn their attention to? For instance, if they're just learning to run all the way around the block, then you're not going to be asking them to nasal breathe. Because just the challenge of getting them around the block, you have to challenge, you know, just regular, get them around the block. And, you know, and that's an extreme example, but it, it, you would tailor it to, if somebody's already maxed out, but they're not on all these different little finer points, do you want to nasal breathe or you find out they're getting four hours of sleep a night? You're going to go for the sleep because that's way more critical than the nasal breathing part. So it's just well, an it's interesting some, What's point. interesting is there's it, it is in some sense a too many cooks in the kitchen problem because oh, uh, like the benefits of from from Nestor's standpoint in breathe 
the benefits of nasal breathing from a physiological standpoint, and I'm not talking about athletics, I'm not talking about performance, I'm talking about just keeping your mouth shut and breathing through your nose, are fantastic. Mm-hmm. And in to the degree, and I can't, I don't do a good job of paraphrasing it without notes in the book in front of me, so I'm not going to attempt to, but ju- just that the studies that are being done on what happens to your body when you breathe only through your mouth and what happens to your body when you breathe only mm-hmm. through your nose, physiologically, they're not even comparable. It is so much healthier and better for you to breathe through your nose. You have to separate elite performance in any conversation. If you're talking about a plant-based diet, a carnivore diet, a raw diet, whatever it is, like whatever the thing is, the flavor of the week, you have to separate it for elite performance because elite performance, you're now in a, like a 0.1% of the population and then each one of those people is going to have a completely different physiological makeup that's going to demand certain things. And then there's the mental question of what are you actually focusing on? And this might be a little more to Chris's point, but with uh, like combat athletes, for example, learning how to breathe through your nose might not give you a performance edge in like punches per minute or something, but it might give you an edge in composure. So if you can regulate your breath better and not get into fight or flight more frequently, that doesn't, maybe you're not putting more weight on the bar or you're not getting more punches in in a minute, but you're getting this competitive edge in control and relaxation that you're not getting elsewhere. So then it's like, how do you, you don't, there's no way to measure that, right? So it's, Mm -hmm. but I mean, Richard, he brought up an interesting point too. He's like, about sprinting like yeah and and Nestor would agree with this actually if you're sprinting abandon it right like that's not a time to try to breathe that's a time a sprint is a 100 percent nasal breathing is not for a hundred percent it's for like this the 70 to 85 and maybe some very specific recovery protocols and and breath hold protocols and stuff but if you're at a hundred percent if someone's trying to grab your arm and lock it behind your back and you're rolling around the ground, yeah, you fucking bail, dude. <laughs> like, right, right. now is yeah. not the time. It makes sense. <laughs> Which is... Yeah, it, I mean, it's amazing that there's so much, you know, with today's internet and, and, and podcast, like podcasts and stuff, like I've learned so much with the guests that you have on and they're fascinating because they've all, each one of them is specialists at what they're researching and have become. You know the type of coach that they're coming out of the background that they had to become that type of coach and it's you know i don't i i have the utmost respect for all of them because they have so much experience in that field so whatever they're saying is they it, they believe it for a reason because they've got proof they've got data they've got ex- personal experience or a combination of, of both and so for me as a casual reader and listener you know, I'm, I'm interested because it's something that I'm intrigued by and I apply things, but I'm not like, oh, it's this flavor of the week and that flavor of the week. You know, I, above all else, I listen to my body. My body tells me what's working and what isn't. It's a hard and thing for people to do, too. I, that just comes with over time of, uh, for me, it's from being a competitive athlete over time. You know, I can't tell you how many races I've towed the line at and pushed my body. 
in different sports. And so I know the feeling, for instance. I know if I'm settling into like, oh, this is the rut, this is the groove, and you know, this is my 7.45 minute pace. So I gotta crank it up a little bit if I'm gonna drop a little time off of this. And I know that's where I am. You know, even if I'm feeling, if it's a bad day or a good day, I know that's the cadence, that's the breathing rhythm. Like, oh, I'll settle into that all the time, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's on the bike, you know, I've got tens of thousands of miles on the bike. And so that'll just tell, oh, okay, that groove or rowing, you know, it's like your body finds those grooves that it's familiar with. And so, but that's just time and repetition. And I think that that's what makes such great elite athletes so good is they can do laps, you know, with their eyes closed and be within a tenth of a second on a 400, you know, yeah. if they want to. Like you That's know, one, like, one thing that the, from, because I agree with your point 100%. I, the, the biggest thing is what are you learning about yourself as the athlete? No matter what you're reading, what things are you implementing that are changing what you're doing? And for me, like the nasal breathing thing was massive. It completely flipped upside down everything I thought I knew about how I was just operating. I didn't even know that, that mm -hmm. alone, that was the biggest ticket. I didn't even know that I was walking around, always breathing through my mouth, running, always breathing through my mouth, huffing and puffing at jujitsu. The clarity right. that I have on that from having spent the last two years doing it, maybe Richard Diaz is right. A hundred percent right. And I, and I'm just wrong, but it, it doesn't matter because the payout was massive for me. It's a, it's a degree right. of clarity that I've gotten as an athlete that I never had as a skier, that I've never had as a soccer player, as a runner, anything. I only got it in the last two years from this self-experiment. And now mm -hmm. I, I can tell just by what my, I can, one, I can feel breathing. I know <laughs> what's happening when I'm breathing. That's crazy. I didn't even know that before. And I can pinpoint very, very closely where my heart rate's at, which I couldn't do before because I had no feedback on, on what my breathing was really doing. So it, you're 100% right. It's like it, it comes down to like the individual level and what are, you, what are you picking up? What's working for you? What's not? Can you eat a big breakfast and then go do a DecaFit or do you get completely blown out and you got to switch it up? Well, like what things within the confines of generally healthy and good choices are best for you as an individual person. Right. And, uh, and for me, it's interesting as a, as a, I guess I would be considered a senior athlete, you know, I'm, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm approaching 60. So it like, I'm combating a whole different set of circumstances that guys in their twenties, thirties and forties are not, you know? Right. And, I don't, not as many of them, I think I'm bypassing a lot of them because I'm like, this is one of my strongest years physically, like with a barbell of all my weightlifting, which so it only, I, didn't, I haven't weightlifted my whole life. I've weightlifted, started weightlifting in my Three uh, probably early forties. Yeah. And yet my numbers are stronger this year than they have been with any other year, with the exception of just a couple lifts. That's mainly due to limitations from some flare-ups, injury flare-ups, but everything else, like across the board, I'm a better athlete. I'm sleeping better. My nutrition is better. And all of, all of which can improve. So in no way am I capped out on 
oh, I'm super efficient with my sleep. And there's always things, should I be doing cold water therapy? You know, like, <laughs> should I be doing plunges? Should I be, yeah. there's just a ton of stuff. And it's all very interesting to me, but I take it in my own due time. But there's, I love it because I'm just kind of defying physics in a way, like just by being fit, by being, by three to five times a week, sometimes a little bit more, competing on a regular basis, sleeping reasonably well, eating good quality food in like maybe not the right amounts and maybe not in the right windows of time, whatever. I'm not super good at that. That's the package that I feel pretty darn good at. It releases stress in my life. I get a lot of joy out of competing. I meet a lot of fellow competitors that have the same joy in their life of being physically fit and happy about it. And, and yet, there's so much at my fingertips of areas where I can absorb and, and tweak and improve a little 1% here, 1% there. When I'm not even like close to my potential. Right. And I've come so far. Like I've built myself into I, I, a really well-rounded athlete from. I remember us dimension. having conversations about you know, you sending me pictures of your food for a week and stuff, and it's it's been really cool to see how many things have fallen into place. And I don't, I try to communicate this to to clients and friends and and people that ask about just making healthier choices. It's very hard to box up this point that I'm trying to make, but just by doing over and over and over and over and over again, even if you're doing some things wrong or not to the most optimal degree, you, you do it. Like <laughs> the thing that you're trying to get done gets done by happenstance, but it's happenstance. That's a byproduct of the efforts in the same place over and over that consistency. Like, yeah, maybe it's not. I've never counted a calorie in my life. And I don't think you have either. I think we like jokingly tried one time, and it was like a horrible failure. Surprise. But like, look at how your food is working for your life. You're in the best shape. You're the strongest. You're sleeping better, more mental clarity. Like all these positive things that you would have grabbed right off the shelf if you could before, but you, you don't know where to look, and now they're just happening. But they're happening when you look back now at the past 10 years because you it's like you haven't missed a day right and that's what happens you and i it's probably both of our mottos consistency is king and even if it's just paying attention to information that's there you know even if you're like i had a crappy september until the beginning of this week that just passed it, it, it sucked. It, it wasn't, it was just like, I don't know, there was some kind of planetary alignment. There was like, and physically, I just, felt, retrograde. <laughs> I, <laughs> I just felt out of, like, not in alignment with my body. Little injuries were flaring up and little things that weren't injuries were showing up. Like, what the heck is that now? Yeah. And um, work was really stressful. I, I was getting a bunch of things piling onto me, coming out of different barrels of different guns. And so it was just, a lot, and and I missed my weekly attendance went from six to five or five to four to three to two, but during that time, Jen and I went away for a nice vacation for the weekend. I brought my running shoes, didn't run because I felt like crap, didn't want to run, um, but just resetting, just taking, just getting away. We we just drove to the Cape Cape Cod, rented a little 
Airbnb and went there for the weekend. It was awesome. So resetting there naturally and then coming back and I still didn't want to go to the gym. I was dragging. It was just like ugh, everything was just hurting and it, it was just a bummer. But I've been there before and I know that and when physically I'm not 100% or 95%, it really gets to me. Like it really bothers me when I'm injured or I'm like off kilter because I'm used to just really utilizing that time of athletics and, and working out to balance me. So I feel out of balance and I can't balance myself. So this past Monday I went in and I just crushed a workout. And lately I've been adding on like deca, deca frequency things. I'm trying to get compromised running in at the end. So I'll do whatever the workout is. And with a really high heart rate, I'll, as soon as I finish whatever it might have been that's on the workout, I'll dash out the door and I'll do a 200-meter sprint and I'll come back in and then I'll do like, I use a 45-pound plate and I'll do burpees to my chest with the thing overhead to mimic the deck of thing and then I'll blast out the door for 200-meter and I'll do like three or four different things like that until I'm smoked. And I had a great workout. I'm like, okay, great. I'm back on, maybe I'm back on track. Next day I was sore from all that because it had been like a while. And I had another great workout, another great workout, another great workout. So I just kept going, even though I was just like, ah, I'm not quite sure, sure about this. And then I strung together like five days in a row this week, and I'm back on track. And I had a really great week. And so just now I have that experience of, okay, you can have two or three weeks, or you're really off kilter. And I'm starting to feel stressed because I'm like, okay, I only have X number of weeks till. Right. My little bit of taper before world championships in November, and I got like, I'm running out of time. And what and I started to play those head games, <laughs> and all it took was like four good workouts, five good workouts in a row to reset. Now I'm back on track. I had an epic week, and now I'm rolling, and I think I can roll right through. But now I can call on that experience of being derailed, not having such a good couple of weeks in the gym. And know that it's going to come back. It's not going to abandon. I'm not like suddenly off the fitness wagon. I'm going to balloon right. out because I'm depressed and I'm eating bags of chips, which I did eat a bag of chips. The whole chip, the whole bag, start to finish. But that's, this is an important to part too for for people listening. It might be that you sound like you're insane, because <laughs> because God forbid, in ten years you have you didn't work out for three days, right? But that that's super not the point. The point is that rest is as much of a discipline as activity and there the trap that you can get into when you are a high frequency exerciser and you have a lot of things and and this is like you know my hands raised this is a problem that i struggle with all the time is mm -hmm. there is a point of diminishing returns where doing more actually makes you worse at what you're training for or it puts your body in a worse position then it helps you and when you're in the thick of it you feel like any moment away is a bad, that's bad. That means that you're getting weaker, you're getting slower, whatever. It couldn't be further from the truth. That it's was those, years it, ago. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's sure. when the body recovers. That's when it gets stronger. That's, that's why you can come back from a couple of days rest and absolutely obliterate it. And you're like, oh, weird. I must have slept better. No, you didn't sleep better. You just, you finally let your body rest for the first time ever. But it's hard in a competitive setting i i know at least for me like when i'm going to training i and i don't mean strength training i strength train here right but when i go to training at the academy 
you're with people. You're with the same people, and everyone's mm -hmm. putting in work. And like, I get this thing that if I don't go, the people that I usually put in work with, they're going to get more work in than me. And then I'm going to come back. They're right. going to be better than I am, or more. Con you know, it's just it's another head game. You're you're playing head games with yourself when you're in the work. You're playing head games with yourself when you're out of the work. It's just right. learning that about yourself and how to manage that becomes an important part as an athlete of any level to understand right. your own psychology so that you can give your body the best of what it needs. Sometimes right, your body is going to just something's going to give. If you totally. don't give it the time, hundred like, percent. And I've had that happen before. Like I say, like your, two years and ago, your sleep might suffer, was, and that's what would happen. And even like the bag of chips thing, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you need the bag of chips. It's okay. It's so okay to yep. do that because and I've it's, never beat myself up over the bag of chips. <laughs> no, it's, it shouldn't. Yeah. yeah. When you are, if you find yourself really busting your balls about it like that. That's when it becomes unhealthy. You, sh you should be able to live your life and, and live a healthy life and, and eat and sleep and recover in a way that supports what you love to do to the degree to which you love to do it. And that'll change a lot about those input factors. But mm -hmm. every once in a while, you got to just pack your running shoes and not use them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was the, it was the best thing. I, it was some good lessons that came out of it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it on the backside of it. But it was it was an interesting lesson. Even after all these these years, you know, I, I realized that I do have to fold in those times. And now this is a great time. That was a perfect window to take a breather because now I'm like, right. I don't know, seven or eight weeks out. You know, a good six week block of training ahead that I really should be consistent with and and uh, going for that. So. Well, maybe we can find a way to it's get fun Yancey, stuff. Yancey, I, Yancey I, on I here. That all. would be really cool to hear uh, a little What's bit that? about the genesis behind DECA. And I, I was saying it would be cool to get uh, Yancey, Yancey, Yancey or Yancey? Yancey. Yancey to, to find a way to get him on here and talk a little bit about the, like, the genesis of DECA and what, because it's, gr it's growing a lot mm -hmm. and it's spreading and it's applicable to a ton of people. So, uh, it's really cool. There'll be links in the show notes to what DECA is, how you can find the events, sign up for the events, all that kind of stuff. Same on the YouTube in the show notes. And then um, it'll be cool to kind of see how you do here at World Championships in November. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm uh, making some changes to my training to adjust to that. I, it's all new territory for me, but I've been, I, there's some tried and true methods out there that work and I'm uh, building on my weaknesses, and uh, when Yancey is handing me my podium medal there, yeah. I'll say hi, and then he has to be on the podcast. There we go. Well, I <laughs> don't say that? this to uh, <laughs> any other guests, so I love you, <laughs> and uh, thank, you for, too, thank you for thank you for taking the time great. to be on here. Yeah, it's always yeah. a fun, always a fun time, and we'll circle back uh, following the event and see how you're doing. Yeah, we'll do. Awesome. Sweet. So that, 